tuned in to the Bean Ninjas podcast, your go-to resource for scaling your e-commerce business. Whether you're just starting out or already hitting seven figures, we've got you covered with expert tips and real-life success stories from top e-commerce brand owners. Plus, we'll share our own accounting and finance experience to help you make smart business decisions. is brought to you by A2X Automated E-Commerce Accounting. We'll be sharing more about this product later in the show. Welcome to the show, Phil. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thanks, Wayne. Good to talk with you. Absolutely. So We've had a chance to talk on multiple occasions, but this is our first time recording a podcast together. So I'm excited to get our chat recorded and share out with our listeners. Yeah, me too. So today we're going to share a little bit about your backstory, your experience as a e-commerce founder. We're going to touch into how you've been able to launch four brands in six years and also dabble a little bit into your time as an author and discuss your latest venture into publishing at Stoic Simple. So a bit of a backstory. Phil and I connected in August of 2021, when Phil reached out to Bean Ninjas to set his books up in Zero, In April 2022, Phil and I were able to connect in person at e-commerce Fuel Live, a gathering of hundreds, six and seven figure e-commerce entrepreneurs and bonded over a shared adventure of indoor skydiving. Phil lives in Ohio with his growing family, runs multiple e-commerce offerings under his company Chomp. Phil started in his basement, in 2017 with no prior business experience, but used his digital agency experience and strengths in marketing, design, and advertising to launch his first subscription box service. After learning through mistakes, he launched multiple other ventures in the space. The Bean Ninjas onboarding team supported Phil with a brand new accounting system set up in Zero, moved Phil off QuickBooks, and restructured his profit and loss to bring both visibility and clarity into his brand's financials. So Phil, you shared with us in your initial call when you reached out that your reports were unusable. How have things changed since moving on to zero and now receiving monthly financials from our Bean Ninjas team? Well, I'll tell you, it's it's, it's really been life-changing for me. When I started out uh, with this company, not knowing much about business, figuring out how to how to keep my books, how to do bookkeeping, how to keep track of the things I need to keep track of. It, it was complete Greek to me. Uh, and frankly, it, it sort of still is. Uh, one of the things I'm going to talk about today is focusing on getting better at things you're already good at. And I was trying to learn how to do bookkeeping and, and teach myself the right way to keep track of all these you know, expenses and, and, and different things. And it, it, was, it was a waste of my time and it was frustrating to me. And I like having uh, service providers who who can do it without me even thinking about it. So trustworthiness is really important to me. Bean Ninjas does a great job of taking care of everything for me. Checks in, They check in with me. Uh, your team checks in with me once or twice a month. Once I tell them how something needs to be categorized, they do the, the same categorization from then on. It's uh, just a lifesaver for me. That's awesome. So I want to jump into your journey a little bit as an entrepreneur. So Let's take a quick spin through your history. You've made the jump first from the military to digital advertising to e-commerce and now into publishing. So 
What were the decision points along the way that helped spur the interest and really confidence to pursue each of those paths? Well, the biggest thing for me is pursuing stuff that I want to do that I didn't know how to do in the past and that was a little bit scary to me. Uh, It's one of the reasons I joined uh, the Army National Guard when I was 27 years old. I wanted to do something more with my life, wanted to live up to the potential I felt like I had. And that experience was pretty life-changing for me. Taught me a lot about discipline. It taught me about my limits. It taught me about what I'm capable of, not just physically, but mentally as well. And I was in, uh, I was ultimately in the National Guard for five years. I went through uh, officer candidate school with the Ohio National Guard. And soon after leaving the Army, I looked into, uh, I I taught myself how to build websites. I wanted to, to do a blog. I didn't quite know how to do it, so I did research online. Started out with some really lousy uh, websites that I built myself, slowly got better at it, and eventually started doing uh, digital marketing that was sort of all-encompassing. Social media, SEO, really into SEO. I love uh, search engine optimization, creating content, and understanding how search engines work. And that experience lent itself to eventually getting a job at a digital marketing agency in Cleveland, where I was an account executive for uh, half a dozen years and just learned the ins and outs of marketing for all kinds of different industries. It was a great experience. What are some of the key learnings you saw back in your time in digital advertising that are still relevant today that you might use or suggest folks explore further? The biggest takeaway for me over the years has been that the brands that decide to become their own media companies, so to speak, their own publishing companies, uh, really end up doing the the best and connecting their niche audiences the most. And what I mean by that is publishing content that's not just self-promotional, not just stuff that tries to sell your products, but that answers questions and explores topics that your your audience is, is interested in. Taking time to write content that doesn't just sell your stuff, but also helps your customers solve problems that are unique to them eventually leads to more sales because uh, your your brand name becomes associated with just really good, helpful content. Everything that I do, whether it's uh, e-commerce or online publishing, I always try to make sure that first and foremost, I put a lot of work into understanding what my target audience, uh, what their pain points are, what they want to learn and then becoming an expert in that and creating content that they're going to consume and really appreciate is out there. Outside of directly connecting with this customer base, what's the toughest part of understanding and getting to that level of detail regarding what they are most interested in? There's a lot of, the toughest part is wading through a lot of the garbage that's out there you know about this as well, uh, being a business owner and knowing a little bit about search engine optimization and different kinds of content you can find online. It's sometimes hard to differentiate, again, I said garbage, that's published online just to try to sell stuff from really helpful content. Um, So even doing, uh, even when you're trying to teach yourself about a certain topic, let's say it's about horses, horse training, for example, the best stuff doesn't always rank the highest. Fortunately, there are websites out there that do a really good job of gaming the system and getting clicks. There's not a lot of helpful content on the site. So teaching yourself about these things, if you don't have a background in it, you almost have to understand how to 
search for information in a way that helps you wade through the unuseful stuff or the stuff that was just published to, to get clicks and get sales. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I think what I'm seeing is the introduction of AI tools that can help some of that ideation. So if, if you're someone struggling on how to come up with ideas on what topics might be relevant, the use of AI to help you understand what might be areas to research further is something that I'm seeing used more often. Do you have any experience in using AI to help with some of this content creation? Yeah, absolutely. I use it extensively now. Of course, ChatGPT, uh, it's really changed the game for me, not because it creates the content for me, but because it's a research tool that really cuts down on the amount of time that I have to take when I research what people are looking for online. In the past, when I've gone to uh, search engines like Google and done research, for example, on uh, you know the, the questions that horse owners uh, try to find answers to the most, you have to wade through, as I said before, a bunch of garbage before you find really quality stuff on search engines. And ChatGPT in particular, it gives you this information if you know how to query it correctly in a way that it's not bloated, it's straightforward, it tells you exactly what people are looking for, and it'll also produce it in a any kind of a list you want. If you want a numbered list, you can get that. If you want a list of keyword phrases that, that have to do with your industry, you can get that. You can even get it to help you with ideas for names of uh, names for blog posts or articles that you're working on. Just give it a brief overview of the content that's in your article. Ask it for uh, a dozen suggestions on what the most optimized and easy to understand title for the article would be. And it, it gives some really terrific intuitive helpful suggestions. And it's only going to get better. Absolutely. It's an interesting space that certainly I'll, I'll be keeping an eye on a bit further. Were there any particular moments along your entrepreneurial journey that really stand out to you where it, it kind of made you think like, yes, like I'm definitely on the right path? So I, I tried a whole lot of different, like a lot of entre entrepreneurs have a lot of different side gigs and experimenting with selling different things online. I always wanted to have uh, sell my own product, have my own brands, rather than working for, for other companies. Tried a lot of things. Eventually, the thing that uh, really took off for me was Saddlebox, which was my first e-commerce uh, subscription box offering. Decided that I'd start researching the potential for the idea of monthly box for horse owners. I'm sure you've heard of BarkBox before. That's a really popular box for dogs. And I, I wondered to myself, is there a monthly box for horses? My daughter at the time was riding horses. I was at the stable a lot with her. So I looked into it. There were three or four other monthly boxes for horse owners. But as I looked at their websites, what they offered, I thought to myself, you know what? I, I'll bet I could do this uh, just as well or better than, than the companies that are doing it now. So I just dove in. Uh, I knew nothing about how to run a company, how to do a subscription box, just researched online how other people have done in the past. I hopped on LinkedIn and found the owner of a successful subscription box company, bothered the heck out of him, and finally got him to agree to let me talk to him on the phone and, and pay him for an hour of his time to tell me exactly how he, he did everything to launch his uh, subscription box. And then I uh, spent uh, half a year building a uh, email list with horse owners who would be interested in signing up for something like Saddlebox. 
And when I when I launched, I had uh, in the pipe, I had 10,000 people on the email list, 100 subscribers the first day. And that that's when it that's when I really had that aha moment that if I can tweak this, if I can continue to improve how I'm doing this and learn how to do it the right way, that this might be something that I could do for for my full time job. And I didn't I didn't get to leave my my job and focus just on my own company for more than a year after that. I was very careful about it, but it it's had ups and downs. But that aha moment where I realized I could just do it myself was was really helpful to me. And I love that idea of success leaves clues, right? You mentioned that you pestered and, and reached out and connected with someone that had already blazed the path. Uh, I think that, yeah. that, that's been a, an awesome share and an interesting way for us to segue into a topic I want to connect to you about further next. And that's really some lessons learned from launching four brands in six years. So let's unpack mm-hmm. this a little bit. So let's go back. When you launched Saddlebox, how did you finance your initial e-commerce venture? Did you use personal funds, friends and family, loans? Were you working with any investors? Yeah, personal funds. I, I still don't know anything about uh, investors, angel investing, nothing like that. And frankly, I don't. I really am not interested in having any in, in investors in, in what I'm doing because I don't want anybody else to have control over how we ultimately operate the company. I've always said that I don't quite understand why people go on Shark Tank. I I wouldn't want to give any part of my company to someone who's not as uh, interested in the topic as I am. So finding investors wasn't an option for me and I wasn't interested in it. Um, I just used my own personal savings to uh, do some case studies with running advertising on Facebook to see how many people would sign up for an email list if I offered them a, you know, a, a lifetime subscription. A whole lot of testing was involved, but it didn't. It didn't really require that much money early on. Um, I found the products for the boxes. I bought enough product to pack about 250 boxes. I spent some money on Facebook advertising to build the email list. And then uh, the great thing about subscription-based business models is that every month we rebuild our customers, and then I have bank accounts replenished with with funds that we can use to buy product the next month and also uh, devote to advertising. I was really careful though to, and, and this is one thing that I think a lot of new business owners ultimately get wrong. And it's why businesses, one of the reasons businesses don't last is I was careful not to look at the the money that we had in the bank with the company and, and decide to just spend it on myself. I was careful to early on because I had a, a full-time job and I was doing this out of my basement at night. I was careful to take all the, the money early on and put it right back into the company, right back into advertising to grow that subscription base. Yeah, you mentioned advertising as being a key growth lever. Are there any metrics that you focus on when evaluating where to allocate resources and and invest further? Yeah, I you know I know a lot about a whole lot of different advertising channels. I learned a lot when I was in digital marketing and doing this for other companies. With something like Saddlebox and Coopcrate, which focuses on backyard chicken owners, really Facebook does the best for us because we can target interest based audiences. In other words, I I can create a terrific list of um, potential customers using Facebook who I know are probably horse owners, horse riders, or uh, or backyard chicken owners. I can't do that as well with other platforms. Google's terrific, but it's primarily search-based. In other words, people are going there and typing in a specific need, a specific question, and you can target them based on what they're looking for at the time. 
but nobody is really searching for horse subscription boxes. Nobody's looking for subscription box for backyard chicken owners. So the ability that Facebook gives me to target people who don't know about us, who I know are in that core audience of people who own the, the, the animals that these boxes cater to, it's just, it's not matched by any other platform. Um, it's got a little, it's gotten a little bit tougher with Facebook. In recent years, the cost per uh, conversion has gone up a bit for us, and it's harder to retarget people. But it's still, there's nothing that compares to uh, Facebook's ability to target people based on their interests. Now, is there any tools that you're utilizing or, or any processes that you use to identify how much you're okay with spending on Facebook as a platform each month? Yeah, that's a really good question, um, and it was a really it was a tough thing for me to figure out early on, and I still don't think I've really figured it out. I don't know if I will ever figure out exactly how much I should be spending on advertising every month, but I I have with the help of other e-commerce business owners who've who've given me given me some advice. I've put together some numbers on what percentage of of the revenue from a previous month that I will spend on advertising for the current month. In other words. In any given month, for instance, December, which is our biggest sales month because of gift giving season, I'll have a, a percentage of the previous month's revenue that I'm allowed to spend on advertising. So for December, that that percentage is really high. It's 25% of revenue from the previous month that I'll spend. January and February are our slowest months for a lot of reasons, and it's that way for a lot of people in e-commerce. So in January and February, that percentage amount that I'll spend on advertising is closer to like 1% or 2%. But I, I've looked back at what our most busy months are when people are more, most likely to be interested in buying our kinds of products. And I will, I'll tweak those percentages based on how busy we're in a given month. And then eventually the percentages will add up to the total percentage that I set myself as being allowed to spend for that given year, for the entire year. So part of your success has been in launching, I wouldn't say they're complementary, but similar offerings, but to different audiences. How much weight do you put into evaluating the financial viability of these new offerings before launching them? A lot. The audiences have to have several things in common. And that's one of the reasons I've only launched three or four past half a dozen years. Number one, it has to be niche enough that that there aren't a whole lot of other offerings that are similar. Backyard chickens is a great example. I don't know much at all about backyard chickens. I, well, I guess I do now because of how much work I've put into content for Coop Crate. But I've at the time I launched Coop Crate, I don't think I'd ever touched a chicken <laughs> at, at all. <laughs> so I had to learn a whole lot about that audience. But I knew it was a niche audience that what was sort of underserved when it came to subscription box offerings. Again, there were a few out there that that were similar, but the audience was underserved enough that I knew there's not going to be a lot of competition for for what I'm going to offer. Second, it also has to be a large enough audience that the company's going to be able to make enough revenue that it's worth our time. I I would think that any audience uh, less than one or two million people would be really hard to market to, and your cost per conversion would probably be much higher than then I could work into the formula. So it has to be large enough we can market to it. I, it needs to be an audience that I can target on Facebook. That's something I always check. Just because there are people out there who like a certain topic doesn't mean that Facebook gives you a lot of good options for targeting them. 
So checking on uh, the Facebook advertising platform for the types of audiences I can target and interest targeting who would be interested in that offering is important. If I have an idea for a product, for a subscription box, for something I'm going to sell online, and I see that there's just not an easy way for me to target people who would be interested in the product, I'm just not going to, I'm not going to waste the money on trying to find them. And then lastly, it has to be something that for, for me anyway, for our company, it has to be something that fits into the, um, into the systems we already have in place. We have a warehouse here and I have a team of employees who are trained on our system. We, uh, we do uh, Saddlebox and Coop Crate and now Spa Dog out of the same warehouse, different areas in the warehouse, but we rotate teams to different stations to pack the boxes. And we use the same system for everything. So it, it, it has to be a, a product that, a topic, a product, a box that would fit into our system as well. Now let's hear about our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by A2X Automated E-Commerce Accounting. I'm the founder of Beanages, which is a specialist e-commerce accounting firm working with brands in Australia, the US and UK. We've tested all of the e-commerce accounting tools out there and A2X is a core part of our tech stack. I'm going to share an example of how we use A2X with one of our clients. This particular client sells swimwear, which they manufacture in Asia and sell in the US. Their sales channels are Amazon and Shopify, and they had a recent challenge where they were trying to get accurate financials for a loan and were struggling with this. When they moved over to Be Ninjas, they wanted accrual accounting, but previously their prior accountants had only done cash accounting. And because of that, it was difficult for them to show an accurate gross profit and net profit figure when they were presenting their financials to get the loan. This was mainly because of the lumpy stock purchases. Moving over to A2X and using the cost of goods functionality meant they could move to accrual accounting. We could then help them prepare their financials faster and ultimately they were successful in securing a loan. Check out A2X to automate some of the accounting work. And that's what's amazing is you're able to share some of your resources across multiple offerings. So I would imagine your labor and your team has you have the opportunity to allocate them across each of those brand offerings. Is there similar crossover to some of the products? I'd imagine, you know, packaging may be similar it is, for boxes, yeah. but yeah. Is, is there any opportunity to reuse some of the, what we would label your cost of goods sold yes. within your P&L? Yeah, that's a great question. Not always, but there are, there are examples, uh, particularly between Saddlebox and Coop Crate, where we're able to use similar products in each boxes in each box because there's stuff that, that are good for both horse owners and backyard chicken owners. Epsom salt or electrolytes is a good example. The same electrolytes that are good for horses to consume in the winter months and in the summer months when it gets hot are, are good for chickens as well. And as we package those, those products, obviously we do research into how those products should particularly be used or given to, to that particular animal. But there's a lot of stuff that, as you said, it can be used in these different products for these different pet owners. Awesome. I want to switch gears a little bit, Phil, if that's okay. And yeah. We've chatted on this topic, you know, while in person, but I want to go into some of your thoughts about stoic thinking as an entrepreneur. Sure. So share with our listeners your opinion or your definition. What is stoic thinking and how did the idea of your publishing company, Stoic Simple, come about? I learned about stoicism a couple years ago. A local fellow entrepreneur 
who I respect a lot, told me that he, he thought that stoicism would be something that would that would really click with me. I looked into it, got a couple books about it. I, I knew nothing about stoicism or even philosophy, to be honest with you, a couple years ago. Uh, but I've never read about any concept or life philosophy that has just changed everything for the better for me faster than stoicism has. And just to clarify for people who don't know what stoicism is, it's really simple. It's To me, it's three things. It's focusing on the things you control. It's uh, getting rid of ne- negative emotions. And it's learning how to find opportunity in every single obstacle that you come across. There's a lot more to it than that. Obviously, lots of things have been written about Stoicism. It was a philosophy that was first explored thousands of years ago by people like Seneca and Epictetus and Marcus Aurelius. There's lots of good stuff to read there too, but when it comes right down to it, it's a really simple concept. It's easy to learn how to apply it to your life. It's it's just a, a way of thinking. It's sort of like a roadmap to help you navigate challenges in life and make the most of all opportunities. So regardless of whether you're a, a religious person, not a religious person, a single parent, a, uh, a person who has no kids, a business owner, a whatever your job is, you can apply this to your life to just have a better life and, and be happier. So what are maybe just a few actionable tips that you've learned about Stoic principles that you apply in your day-to-day sure one of the one of the most life-changing concepts that and obviously these are things that i've thought of in the past but they didn't really hit home for me until until i started learning about stoic thinking and how people have applied this to their lives but one of the biggest game changers for me was realizing that regardless of what circumstances i'm in or uh, or what kind of challenges i'm facing uh, that it's really up to me how i'm going to feel about that that circumstance that it's not stuff that upsets us, that it, that it's our own judgments about that stuff that upsets us. And that by changing the way you approach and the way you look at challenges and, and environments and situations, that you can turn most things around, most challenges around to become beneficial for you. There's almost nothing we face in life that we can't tackle in a way that that can be turned into an opportunity. Even if that means learning how to be uh, have more strength and show more more fortitude in the in the face of uh, an illness, even if it means uh, learning how to be happier with what you already have rather than the stuff that you could get if you lose a job or a low, or a low on funds, turning challenges around and and making them into some sort of opportunity has has been the biggest life changer for me when it comes to stoic thinking. Absolutely. The one thing you can control is your response. Where would the first place you would point people to, to dip their toe into stoicism? I I really like, if you're first getting into stoicism or into philosophy, I would probably steer clear a lot of of a lot of the heavy philosophy stuff that that might not keep your interest for long. I I really enjoy Ryan Holiday's stuff. The Daily Stoic. Agreed. Yeah, the Daily Stoic is, I, I read the Daily Stoic every single day. It's bite-sized. He offers a couple paragraphs every morning that I read that focus on a different aspect of Stoic thinking. It, it's written in a way that the common person can understand uh, really easily. I just think Ryan Holiday's writing is is terrific. It's really powerful 
really moving writing and he's very good at telling other people's stories. He doesn't talk a lot about himself. He's a good. That's right. It brings these ancient yeah. concepts, but brings them into contemporary people's experiences that we all know about. Exactly. He's, he's a terrific teller of other people's stories and he, he does a good job of a, applying those lessons that we learn from those other people's stories to our own lives. And also he does a great job of showing us that even the people we think were, were great in the past all had challenges and they were all regular people just like we are. Awesome, Phil. So I'm going to wrap things up with a few rapid fire questions. Mm -hmm. So with your hands in multiple areas, you're a father of four, an author, publisher, e-commerce entrepreneur. What's a typical day look like for you? Yeah, I, so I, uh, with three very young kids at home and a, a teenager as well, I, um, I don't get a whole lot of sleep. I need to focus a lot more on my sleep, but I usually get up around 5 or 6 a.m. I exercise early in the morning before anybody else gets up. That's a, sort of a golden hour for me before I have to help with getting the kids ready. It's important to me to have, even though I, I could work from home a lot more than I do, um, having a separate location where I'm able to go and, and work and focus on my work is important. Wayne, you probably know this just as well as I do, but e even if you intend to get work done at home, when you have kids around, you can't always do it. You know, life intervenes a lot when you're working from home, even if you try to go into a separate room or into the basement or, or, or something like that. So having an office here at our facility where I can give my full attention to work for a specific amount of time is really important to me. I tend to work with a lot of focus and try to get as much done as I can while I'm at work. And then while I'm working, I also, I will intermittently exercise as well. Um, so I have a pull-up bar here at work. I'll stop what I'm doing occasionally and do some pull-ups. I have other exercise equipment here. So when I take small breaks, I'm, I'm also keeping physically fit as well. I'm just so busy that I have to find any opportunity I can to throw that kind of stuff in, into my regular schedule. Otherwise, it just uh, it doesn't get done. Absolutely. I love the idea of removing yourself physically to ensure that you have that dedicated time and attention toward your work. Are there any other tools for being productive or effectively managing your energy and time that you could share? Yeah, I, I just think you really have to learn to uh, say no to things that aren't say no to things that are going to distract you from um, the most important things in your life. For me, that's my family, my business, and then uh, close friends and, and colleagues in entrepreneurism like yourself, who I enjoy talking to. But there's, as you become more successful, there's just too many things you can get uh, caught up in. I mean, you have to be careful what you say yes to and what you say no to. And then also, I think it's really important to focus on getting better at the things you're already good at and then hiring or outsourcing for everything else. Don't try to become good at a, a million different things. We don't have enough time in our lives for that. Optimize and, and become even better at what you're, you're already good at. Become the best at a few things and then find other people who can fill in the gaps, so to speak, when it comes to your weaknesses. Awesome. Any books or resources that have really helped you understand entrepreneurship? You, you know, I... I can't say that a lot of books have. I'm sure there've been a few. I read a lot, but none of them have stood out to me just because my business is so so unique. I haven't met anybody else who does specifically what I do as an entrepreneur. 
I said earlier that my our systems here are, are things that we've created ourselves, um, and I don't know any other subscription box entrepreneurs who are in the pet industry. I will say though that finding other e-commerce entrepreneurs has helped grow my business and, and make me happier, made me happier than anything else that I've any other resource that I've found. I'm in a online forum for e-commerce entrepreneurs called e-commerce fuel. And that's a terrific resource for me because I can go there and look and see what, uh, how other e-commerce entrepreneurs are tackling specific issues that I have to tackle myself, whether it's, you know, bookkeeping taxes, website design, hiring contractors at pretty much everything I can, I can go and see how other business owners have tackled that in the past. So finding that audience, that group of other business owners who have similar problems has, has really, uh, let me step up my game. It, it was lonely for a long time running a business and not knowing anybody else who does what, what I do. I had to figure out a whole lot of stuff on my own, but finding resources of people, people who can tell you how to do stuff. It, it, it helps a lot. Yeah. Shout out to Andrew Udarian and e-commerce fuel. We'll post a link to that community in our show notes. Final question, Phil. At Be Ninjas, our mission is to create freedom for entrepreneurs through stress-free business finances. What does freedom mean to you? Um, so a couple things about freedom. I think it's a double-edged sword. Freedom is very important to me, and it's ultimately my goal for being an entrepreneur and owning a business. I like, I'm, I'm a horrible employee. I always have been. I'm constantly wanting to do my own thing and, and focus on my own stuff. And running a successful business allows me to do that. But it also requires discipline. I think the more freedom you have, the more of a chance there is that you're going to get distracted by stuff that you shouldn't be spending your time on. I don't think I could have handled the freedom of being a successful entrepreneur when I was in my 20s or even in my 30s. I've learned to be a lot more disciplined as I've gotten a little bit older. I've also learned what I should focus my free time on in order to use it the best for both my family and my business. But I don't know that the majority of people right off the bat could handle a huge amount of freedom and stay focused on making sure that they're going to have a paycheck and be able to take care of their family, not just tomorrow, but also five years down the line. Excellent. Phil, if people want to reach out to learn more about your subscription boxes or Stoic Simple, where can they connect with you? Best way to connect with me is probably just to go on uh, stoicsimple.com and click on the uh, contact form. All those contact form submissions go right to my email inbox. Excellent. Thanks, Phil. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks. I love talking with you and, and catching up with you. Um, I'm going to see you again in person, I think, early next year. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. Talk to you before then, though. All right. Cool. Take care. All right. Bye. Are you tired of feeling overwhelmed with your e-commerce finances? Let Be Ninjas help you with our popular e-commerce toolkit, now available for both QuickBooks and Zero. With our forecasting templates, you can easily plan for the ups and downs in your monthly cash flow. And our other templates will help you stay on top of your finances with current reporting. And as a special thank you for supporting us, we want to give you this toolkit for free. Simply go to BeNinjas.com slash toolkits to grab your copy today and start taking control of your so much for tuning into this episode of the Bean Ninjas podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to hit subscribe to receive notifications of upcoming episodes.